Good morning, church. I see Edgar already stand up, right? Okay, there we go. Thank you, Edgar. Let us all stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. It is taken from the book of Proverbs. and uh, We're going to read uh, the entire chapter, chapter 7, from verses 1 through 27. So please bear with me as I read this entire chapter. Okay. So Proverbs chapter 7 verse 1 starts, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers and write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones, I discern among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and the subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I pray I have Let me read that again. I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home, he is gone a long journey. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasted to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her path. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. May God add his riches 
Blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of His holy and inspired word. Amen. Please and turn to the book of Proverbs. And thank you for being here today and having a heart to hear the word of God. This is some chapter, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 7, a whole chapter in God's Word. I call it the death trap chapter. The death trap of sin and adultery. And we need to avoid the death trap of sin, dear friends. And that's what we want to speak on today. Avoiding the death trap of sin. Have you... You remember this? You remember WYSIWYG? WYSIWYG was one of the, the acronyms of the early operating system that what you see is, is what you get. WYSIWYG. Well, in the devil's kingdom, when it comes to sin, what you see is not what you get. Let's read in Proverbs chapter 7. And I'm going to just read with you. Why don't you read with me the last two verses as well? Let's all read them out loud together. Proverbs chapter 7, 26 and 27. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Let's pray. So, Father, take this word now and challenge us. And speak to our hearts through the precious Word of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, how would you have liked to have bought this house? This was the luxury dream house of Robert and Denise Webb. It overlooked Lake Whitney, Texas. They bought it for their retirement, to be able to sit there and look out on the beautiful Lake Whitney and drink their tea and entertain their family and friends and then give to their children for an inheritance. But what you see, what they saw or thought they were getting, that it was not what they got. Because they actually got a death trap. Shortly after, not, not that they died in it, thank God. Nobody died in Nobody dies in this story, okay? <laughs> so it's all right. So... This was their luxury house. Now, it wasn't that way when they bought it. My father always told me, when you buy something, buyer beware. Well, they, it really pertains to Robert and Denise Webb when they bought this house. This was a luxury mansion overlooking Lake Whitney. And, but the, shortly after they bought this house, though, there was a crack in this land right there. And this was their, this was their house this was after, you'll see in a moment, but this is where their house was, and the crack literally went right through, and so part of their house fell down off of the cliff. So the cliff had a crack, so therefore they had to set the house on fire. And they didn't have insurance. They, could, they didn't even have insurance for it. And then, soon after that crack... The, the, the cliff just was cut like a knife where, the, where you saw that crack. That's, and, the, and the rest of that cliff just fell into the water. So the, and that's a real story. I, found, I, I saw it online and it was in the news back around. This happened in around 2015, a, a few years ago. 
But it's a great illustration of this house that we see in Proverbs chapter 7, where it says her house is on the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Whose house is this? This is the house we're going to call her, we'll just call her Mrs. Folly. Her house is inclined to death, and it's the way to hell. And it's as if her house is set on this cliff, and it's, it's a death trap that she wants to invite you to. Now, it says in this passage that adultery and sin has cast down many wounded. Verse 26, she has cast down many wounded. The, the victims of sin and adultery are countless. You know, I saw this week, so much sin every, every week you see in the news, but I saw this week that a pastor of a Baptist church named Heritage Baptist Church in Missouri, his wife was cheating on him. And he went out and he killed, the pastor killed the man who was cheating with his wife. I mean, wounded. Adultery has cast down many wounded, but adultery is just one sin that fools fall into. And I want us to see this passage in a broader application than just adultery, because this woman, Mrs. Folly, is enticing and deceiving this young man into sin, but really it could be any sin. And so I want us to take a broader application to this because really in chapter 7 you have, you have Mrs. Folly deceiving, alluring, and seducing this young man to follow in her way. But in chapter 8 you have Mrs. Wisdom encouraging the young man to follow in the way of wisdom. So in chapter 7 it's really foolishness. In chapter 8 it's wisdom. And notice where it says her house is the way to hell. This is the house of Mrs. Folly. Look in chapter 9, and when we get there, and it's really the culmination in chapter 9 is of invitation of both Mrs. Wisdom and Mrs. Foolishness, and you have to decide which way you're going to go. So really there's a broader application than just adultery, but adultery is a sin that traps many, for sure. But maybe it's not adultery for you, it could be some other sin. So apply it to yourself. Because look what it says in chapter 9. Wisdom hath builded what? Her house. So there's two houses. There's wisdom's house. There's foolishness's house. And, and ladies, don't, don't think God's picking on you because wisdom is personified as a woman, also as foolishness. And remember, it's the simple-minded, dimwit man who gets trapped. So we're, we're all sinners. <laughs> okay? And remember, one of the greatest examples of wisdom in the Bible is, is the woman at the end of Proverbs 31. So Proverbs 31 ends with extolling the wise woman. So God is not just putting women down uh, here in, in this chapter. But this woman in this chapter shows us how this world system works. The world system of lust and pride is just like this tempting, adulterous woman that we're going to read about today. She's seducing and alluring this young man, and it's almost like the devil is in her, because the devil is a deceiver, and a liar, and a seducer, who wants to lure all of us into a form of spiritual adultery. And this is where the house goes. And, and really, in these early chapters of Proverbs, we keep running into this 
folly of this Mrs. Folly, this uh, Dame Folly, this foolish woman. We met her in chapter 218. Look what it says here. Her house inclineth unto what? Death. And it says her paths are unto the dead. That's where she leads. Chapter 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. So there we have death and hell. In this chapter, it says her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. So we have, again, death and hell. And then in chapter 9, 18, and again, remember we're talking about the first chap- nine chapters is, are the gateway chapters into the sentence Proverbs that begin in chapter 10. So the culmination of these gateway chapters is really the invitation to either wisdom or foolishness. You have to decide which way you're going. Because if you go into the way of foolishness, it says it's the way of the dead and it's the way to hell. He knoweth not that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of hell. So we see this over and over again with Mrs. Folly. And we have to remember again that there's many forms of adultery. Any sin to which you are tempted to leave God and make that your idol is, is, in a sense, spiritual adultery, right? Spiritual adultery against God. We see this in James 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that what? Friendship of the world is enmity, hatred with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is, is the enemy of God. So if you go into the way of foolishness, and you're listening to the devil's voices, and you're following him, you cannot please God. You're an enemy of God. You're going in a direction where you are the enemy of God. You're committing adultery against God. And really, there, there's, there's no third way here. There's no third way. Either you go to the way of wisdom, or you go to the way of foolishness. Is there another way? No, there's no other way. That's it. There's there's no third way. What did Jesus say? Say this verse with me. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, so can you serve God? Yes. Can you serve mammon? Yes. Can you serve both? No. There's no third way. Choose life. That's the message. Mammon, by the way, is any treasure in your life other than God. It could be money. Here it it could be money. But it could be adultery. Or it could be drugs. Or it could be alcohol. Or it could be pleasures. Or it could be just your own popularity of this world. So let's look at this passage this morning. Avoiding the death trap of sin. And we have to realize certain things to make the right decisions. Basic realizations. We must realize certain things to avoid the death trap of sin. That's the message. And I challenge you, don't buy into the devil's death traps. So let's make these basic realizations avoiding the devil's death trap. And the first is this. And I repeat myself because God repeats Himself in this passage. The first point is realize our deliverance from sin. If we're going to avoid the death trap, what must we, where's our victory? Where's our deliverance? In the first five verses of chapter seven, it's in the Word of God. And that's what he's saying over and over again. 
where he's pleading with his son, My son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments with thee. Where's our victory for, in Jesus Christ? Where are we going to get? How are we going to get the victory? Through the power of the Word of God. You say, well, I tried that and I still fall into sin. It's not the Bible's fault. (laughs) The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We need to understand how powerful this weapon is. Listen, God with His Word spoke and created the world. With one word, He said, let there be light. And there was light. He created the vast planets and the stars and all the galaxies with the power of His Word. And this is His Word written. We have the Word of God. It's powerful. And the Father is urgently pleading, begging with His Son over and over again in these gateway chapters. Hear My Word. Hear me thou therefore, chapter 5 verse 7, he says, hear me, O children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Don't leave the word of God. Keep my commandments and live, he says. At the end of this chapter, he's pleading with his son, look at verse 24, he says, hearken unto me. When? Not, don't take five minutes to listen, right now. Listen to me now, he's saying. Now, please, O ye children, listen, attend to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart go into the way of this sin that is a death trap in your life. Guard the Word of God. God's Word gives life. It's what He says in chapter 7, verse 2. Keep my commandments and live. Do you know how powerful the Word of God is? The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God, the Bible says that we are born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. In other words, when the Word of God is proclaimed and it it enters into our mind like a seed, it grows and then it says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when we hear the Word of truth, the Word of God convicts us and it grows in us and gives us faith through the Word of God. And, and, and by the incorruptible Word of God, we're born again. Hear the Word of God and live. Keep My commandments and live. God's Word is life and God's Word is light. Verse 2, where He says, Keep My law as the apple of thine eye. And we looked at this a few weeks ago and we said that the apple is literally the, the pupil of the eye. And just like your pupil lets up the light into your body. Just think of this. The little pupil in your eye, if it's not working right now, you're in total darkness. That little pupil in your eye is helping you see everything you're seeing right now. Just that little pupil. The Word of God is like that. You take the Word of God out of your life, you're in absolute darkness. The Word of God to your life is like the pupil to your eye. Do you want to live without sight? then don't live without the Word of God. Because the Word of God is our spiritual sight. It's our light. Helps us to see the world and understand the shifting shadows of this world so that we have a biblical worldview upon which to make decisions in life. He says, keep my commandments and live. Look at verse 3. Bind them on your fingers. That means your fingers mean that you see them. Keep the Word of God visible in your life. Every day, make the Word of God 
a daily part of your life. Read the Bible every day. But even more than that, look what he says. In verse 3, he says, write them upon the table of thine heart. Now, what's the table of your heart? Don't think of your kitchen table, but think of a writing tablet. The table of your heart, like God wrote the Word of God on a table of stone. So the table of your heart is a writing tablet for you to learn and even memorize. That's the implication there. Memorize. Meditate on it. Memorize it. See, the Bible, the Bible is not meant for us just to hear it preached, although it's important to hear, come and hear a message preached. That's part of it. It's not even just to read the Bible. It's important to read the Bible. The Bible says give attendance to reading. Reading the Bible is very important. But do you know the Bible teaches? It, the Bible itself teaches us where to memorize it. In this verse and many other verses. I mean, why, why does God put some poems in Hebrew acrostic? For memory. When something is in an acrostic or something is alliterated, it makes it easier to remember. So God has given us a Bible for us to memorize. That's why we do the memory verse every week. Take it seriously. Because the only way our mind is going to be renewed by the Holy Spirit so that we can truly live abundantly and victoriously and experience deliverance. I'm trying to keep you from the death trap. The only way we're going to be delivered from the death trap of the sin of this world is through the power of Jesus Christ who is the living Word of God and His written Word, the Word of God. Delight yourself in the Word. We need the Bible. Our culture... Nothing that happens in our country anymore surprises me because we're in darkness. We're like a nation... And the pupil has been removed. So, because the pupil is God's word, the pupil has been cast out of our nation. So, we're in deep, deep darkness, but that doesn't mean we have to walk in darkness. So, the practical lesson these aren't in your notes, so if you want to jot it down, I'm going to give you a practical lesson under each point is love the word of God. And I've been emphasizing this and I've been repeating this admonition because it keeps being repeated. And by the way, notice how chapter 7 begins. My son. So this is the final admonition of the parents to the son in these gateway chapters. And so each time he's just basically saying, keep my commandments, keep them. Seek them with your whole heart. Seek wisdom. And so the practical lesson is love the Word of God and memorize it in the core of your being so you're not deceived by the slippery words of this adulterous world. The second thing is we have to realize the darkness of sin. Now, in verses 6 to 9, we see this young man thought, he thought that what he was doing was in secret. Did he think anyone was watching him? When it says in verse 8, passing through the street near a corner, he went the way to her house. He's going to her house. And where is her house on the way to hell? He's walking to hell. He doesn't know it. And he doesn't think anybody is watching him because in verse 9 it says, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. It's nighttime. It's under the cover of darkness. So, what he was doing, he thought he was doing it in secret, but was someone watching him? It says it. 
For in the window of my house, I look through my casement. So it's the father. And the father is the father's telling his son, I, I was looking out my window one day and I saw this young man and he, he did not understand the way this world works. And he went right down the street in the dark night, not thinking anybody was watching him. I was watching him. And he went to the house of the adulterous woman. What a dimwit. What a gullible, naive, innocent young man who is going to become a fool if he keeps going that way and he's, he's going to hell and he doesn't even know it. You know, a lot of people think when they make a decision to do some sin, then no one sees them. That they can do it in secret and get away with it. Because nobody knows. But somebody knows. And the most important one in the universe is actually watching you. It says it in the Scripture here. And um, let me go to these verses. He says, For the ways of man, especially related to this, these this, these adulterous women, chapter 5, and to the sins of this world. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. So the Lord is watching us. You're, you're not doing what you're doing in secret. The Lord is watching. And maybe other people are watching you too. You don't know. You might be on a camera. You don't even know these days, right? There's cameras everywhere. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Even if a man doesn't see the most important eyes of the universe are on us all the time. So, we have to realize that someone is watching. There are no secrets. Now, this man looking through his, his window in verse 6, he says he, he, beheld, these, he beheld a simple one. Uh, a, a youth, a young man. And basically this young man is, you know what, it describes him as open to any pathway. He's not convinced to follow God's way. He's still gullible and he can go in either direction. So he's a gullible, open young mi- uh, open-minded young man. I call him like a gullible dimwit. He's simple. He lacks understanding. And you know what he is to this predator of a woman? You know what he is to her? He's a pushover. (laughs) He's a piece of cake for her to deceive. And we'll see that. Because this young man is open-minded. He's described as a youth without understanding. And the reality is, is this this same woman has, has tempted many strong men have fallen to her. So this guy's a pushover, right? In comparison. But this young man thinks he can play with sin and get away with it. So let me ask you some questions. Are you waiting for the dark? Are you waiting for darkness to come so you can do something in secret? Do you have an obsession? Do you have an obsession that you are just waiting to be alone? So no one is watching you. So you could fulfill your obsession. That's where this young man was at. He thought he was alone. He had an obsession. It was dark. And so he thought he could play with sin and get away with it. He thought no one was watching. But the fact is, God was watching. And you cannot play with sin and get away with it, dear friends. The third thing is, 
we have to realize the defiance of the sin of this world. Now, again, I, I see that, and, and here in this chapter, it's different from the other strange woman or adulterous woman passages in that here we really hear a lengthy, her, a, her lengthy speech of flattery to allure this young man to her. And really, in her, in her power of persuasion, it could be any sin, but here... Of course, it's adultery, which is an awful sin. But, again, apply it to your life. Because this adulteress knows no shame. And she's defiant. We see her in verse 10. And I'm going to kind of blow through these real fast. In verse 10, we see her scheming. It says, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot. I mean, she's, she's advertising who she is. And it says she's subtle of heart. So she's subtle. She's devious and dangerous. She's subtle and scheming. She's crafty. She's cunning. Subtle. That's how this world is. Subtle, crafty, devious, dangerous. And then she's stubborn. It says in verse 11, she's loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. She's loud and proud. She's loud. She's defiant. She doesn't care what people think about it. Isn't that the way sin is in this world? Our world has gotten very defiant in preaching and putting forth very, very wicked things even to our children in, in school. Loud and proud is this woman. Very stubborn. Roaring and raging. She's turbulent. She's stormy. And the father or the mother who's ever talking to the son here presents this woman who may be physically beautiful but in a repugnant way. Because that doesn't sound beautiful, right? That she's loud and stubborn. And then we see she's ubiquitous. Now, that's a good word. I like that word. I, I asked the, whether I should use this word to Nana. Where did Nana go? I don't know if she's here. On Wednesday, I said, Nana, should I use this word ubiquitous? Look at verse 12. It says, now is she without, now in the street. She lieth in wait. Where? At every corner. It's like you could find her wherever you look. And you know what? Wherever you go in this world, you could find the sin that you're doing right here. Whether it's sexual sins. I mean, there's sexual sins in all, all corners of the earth. Gambling sins. Drug sins. Alcohol sins. Any kind of sin. It's ubiquitous. It's just ubiquitous means present everywhere. And she's lying in wait. You know what that means? She's ready to ambush. She's ready to ambush this young man. You see, sin is easy to find. Sin is easy to do. Any pushover, weakling can sin. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes conviction to say no to sin and walk in wisdom. It takes strength to walk for Jesus. You know, and it's something that some people have this idea that Christianity is for weaklings and wimps. Huh? You try to live for Jesus. It takes strength. And I'm not just talking about strength that can bench press 300 pounds. I'm talking about a spiritual strength to say no to the devil and follow Jesus Christ. It's going to take courage more and more to live for Jesus because sin is pervasive. It's present everywhere. It's ambushing our young men and young women. It's ubiquitous. It's shameless. 
strongly set, brazen. I mean, look at verse number 13. It says, so she caught him and she kissed him. She didn't even ask him. She just caught him. He's a pushover with an impudent face. You know what impudent means? It means a strong mindedness. She's not going to take no for an answer. He's in a place of weakness. He's been, he's looking for her. And she knows that. She has him just where she wants him. She's been lurking in the dark for her prey. She knows her beauty is hard to resist. So she caught him and kissed him. She's shameless. You know, there's a lot of shameless activity in our culture. I just saw this. This was in the news yesterday. In Dallas, Texas, at a gay bar, where you're supposed to be over 21 years old to enter into this gay bar, they had a drag queen performing, and here's the little children who, who were... And they actually interacted and performed. These little children performed with these drag queens. And there are school teachers. I mean, it's all over TikTok. What a lot of these school teachers who are so confused, but there's so much confusion today about who people are. It's just unbelievable. But if we just understood the Bible, the simplicity of the Bible, that God made us male and female, and that we say, yes, Lord, you made me a male, I want to be a man, and I'll be the strongest man you could, you could make out of me. If you've made me a woman, I want to be a godly woman, and I will be the most godly woman that you've made me to be. Just believe God that He's made you who you are. But this world is brazen and strongly set. Trying to convert our children to this wickedness. So that's the defiance of this world. It's scheming. It's stubborn. It's loud and proud. It's ubiquitous. Present everywhere. It's shameless. And strongly said, it's in denial. What do I mean by in denial? She pretends a religious veneer. She pretends, oh, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. We can do this sin and we can be spiritual too. A lot of people are saying that about homosexuality, transgenderism. This is the way God has made you so you can live for Jesus in this kind of lifestyle. No, you can't. You can't. You have to choose. You have to go the way of wisdom or you're going to go the way of the fool. There's no third way. She's in denial. I have peace offerings with me. Now that's very interesting. A few things that I read, possibilities, what she could mean is, did she go to the temple with her husband and offer sacrifices with her husband? Because when you went to the temple and offered sacrifices, you, could, you would bring home some of the sacrifice and, and then you could invite your family or friends to eat it with you. So she, her husband has just left her. Someone surmised that maybe she went to the temple with her husband before he left town, and now she invites this young man to commit adultery with him. It's possible. Maybe she's connected, though, with a ritual cult outside of Israel. Maybe, she's act, maybe she offered a, a sacrifice to some Canaanite, Baal God, because she, she is a strange woman. She's not of the, the Jewish faith. So maybe, but either way, she's pretending religion. And she's defiant against God. And it's like what it says in Timothy. She had a form of godliness, but she denied what? The true power of God. And there are a lot of religious people like this. They have a form of godliness, but they will live in sin just as well as they will go to their house of worship. May it not be with us. 
May we be different. The lesson here is, do not let the lust of this world force itself on you with a loud defiance. Understand how sin works. This is how sin works, with defiance. The devil is scheming. The devil is stubborn. The devil is ubiquitous in that sense where he's got his servants everywhere. He's shameless. They're in denial. They're going to say, oh no, this is okay for you to do. I have peace offer you. I've, I've paid my vows. I'm right with... She was telling him, come and commit adultery with me. I'm right with God. Can you imagine? That's defiance, right? The fourth thing is, we have to realize the deception of sin. Verses 15 to 20. Realize the deception of sin. Now look at the first deception here. Look at verse 15. And you know what comes out at me in verse 15? are the pronouns. She says, Therefore came I forth to meet thee. Oh, I came out to meet you because you are so special. And she says, Diligently, I came to seek your face because there is no one as handsome as you. Therefore came I forth to meet thee because your muscles just ripple in a way that I like. So she is seducing him. And every one of those statements, you know what it is? It's a lie. So when I say, realize the deceptive praise of sin, she's praising him, but it's all a lie. Does that make sense? She's telling him, oh, I came out to meet you. She doesn't care who she actually gets. She just wants to destroy somebody. I came to meet you. Do you know, a few years ago, somebody did a, his name was David McCullough. You should look this up. He did a commencement speech. And the speech was, you are not special. You should look it up. And basically he said to those graduates, he says, you're not special. You're all dressed like mind-numb robots in the same cap and gowns, you know. And, and you're not special. You're one. You know how many people are in the world right now, by the way? I just looked it up yesterday. 7.9 billion. Even if you're one in a million, that means there's a, there's a few other thousands of people just like you. Even if you're one in a million. So you're not special. McCullough said things like that. It was, really a, it was a good speech. But we're just one in one billion people, one in 7.9 billion people. Yes, we are uniquely made in the image of God, and I, we understand that. But what I'm saying is this you are not so special that you can get away with sin. You are not so special that you could go out and live and commit adultery and get away with it and not be hurt by it. You're not that special. Your sin will find you out. So she deceptively praises him. And then she deceptively tells him the pleasures of sin. Look what she says. She says, you know what, in my house, I've got designer linens. I've got aromatic essential oils. It smells so good. The sheets are so smooth. But look, look what she says. I have decked my bed. I have perfumed my bed. But guess really what's in her house? You know what's in her house? The stench of death. <laughs> this, 
the, the, dead, the dead souls, it's like they're still there. It's like there are still rotting corpses in her house and she is lying about how much pleasure there is in her house. It's a lie. It's a total lie. Total deception. There was no pleasure there. The reality is the total opposite of the fantasy. Sin is a fantasy. Sin is a fantasy. It's a mirage. It's a lie. It's a deception. The pleasures you think you're going to get out of it, you don't get out of it. What, what you think you're going to get out of it. Oh, you know what you get out of it? Guilt. Shame. And then the deceptive promises of sin. She says, look what she says. This is all a lie, by the way. Verse 18, this is how the devil works. Come, let us take our fill of love. Let us drink. She, and she's making the, let us drink, drink out of this love until the morning. Let us solace, let us, solace is rejoice. Let us rejoice in love. So she promises love. But what's the reality? Verse number 26, what's the reality? She hath cast down many wounded. That's not love. And then it says in verse 26, many strong men have been slain by her. People are dead spiritually because of her. That's not love. You see, the deceptive promises of sin. And then she says, oh, and don't worry about my husband. He's not around. You could get away with it. Because he's gone on a long journey. He took a whole bag of money with him. He won't be home for a long time. But just think of this. If she would cheat on her husband like this, what makes you think that she'll tell him the truth? In truth, she uses both her husband and this young man, and she only loves herself. But she tells this young man, there's, there's no risk to this commitment that we're making for this one night. But there's really no long-term commitment. Listen, dear friends, the physical relationship is very powerful when two people come together. And that's why God keeps the physical union between a man and a woman only in marriage. Because it's a very powerful thing that happens in that union. So what she thinks is that they could have this whole night of lovemaking like a Hollywood movie and then just wash your hands without the commitment of marriage. And then she could go back to her husband. Well, she's deceived and she's deceiving him. But sin is deceitful. And the reality of this sin is that it's, it's the, the, the total opposite of it, it, the reality of sin, it's the total opposite of its fantasy. Sin promises one thing, but it's, a, it's like a mirage. It's a fantasy. So that's the deception of sin. So we're looking at how to avoid going to the death trap of sin. Avoiding the death trap of sin. We have to realize our deliverance. We have to realize the darkness of sin. We have to realize the defiance of how sin is. It's schemes. It's stubborn, ubiquitous, shameless. It's in denial. Realize the deception of sin. 
And finally, realize the death trap of sin. This young man is walking on his way to the death trap. Because look what it says. Verse 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. The flattering of her lips, she forced him. And then it says, he goes after her like an ox goes to the slaughter. Now picture an ox going to the slaughter. Does this ox know about what's going to hit him in the head? (laughs) He's oblivious to what's happening and what's coming. He doesn't realize, that ox doesn't realize he's been fattened up for this moment of death so he can be somebody's meal. And this young man is just as dumb as an ox. Don't be foolish. As a fool to the correction of the stocks, that's an image of slavery. You get involved in some sins and it will cast an iron chain around you and you become its slave. You can't just do it one night. You say, well, I'll just do it one time. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Because that's not how sin works. Sin enslaves people. And then they're trapped in it and they can't get out of it. Realize the death trap of sin. Because a dart, if you don't, a dart will strike through your liver. Now, here's another metaphor, if you will, or a a bodily organ as an analogy. You know what your liver is? You need it to live. (laughs) I figured that one out. It's a liver. If you want to live, you have to have a liver. Right? You know, but here's the thing about your... You know, the largest internal organ in your body is your liver. And you know how many things it does? I will tell you all the things it does. There are 500 of them. So just sit tight, I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I want to do that to you. 500 things that your liver does. It is a vital organ. So he's saying if you commit this sin, sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. And so when you go for that sin, it is like a dart striking right through the liver of your soul. By the way, the main thing a liver does is it removes the toxins from the body's blood supply so you can maintain healthy blood and blood sugar because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So that's why they call it the liver too, because it cleans your blood. Realize the death trap of sin. Now, do you know what this is? This is like one of my interesting things that I found in in history. This is the H.L. Hunley. Have you ever heard of the H.L. Hunley? You know what the the Hunley is? It was a hand-crank submarine used in the... Civil War, the North against the South. And a man named H.L. Hunley funded this first submarine, first submarine that will sink a ship in combat. Before its mission, 13 men had already died in it in training accidents. But they still found eight other men brave enough to go into the H.L. Hunley And in its mission, it's, those eight brave young men cranked the sub toward the Union ship called the House of Tonic. 
and it shot off one torpedo and it hit the house of tonic and it sunk it. <laughs> Changed military warfare forever. <laughs> but when that happened, somehow the H.L. Hunley also sank. Many people believe just the explosion of that one torpedo sank the Hunley. And it was buried in the bay for over a hundred years. They, they got it, they dragged it out in 1995. And the, the bones of those eight men were still there. It was a death trap. And that reminds me of how sin is a death trap. So the father is begging and pleading with his young man, don't go to the house of this woman. Wisdom has built a much better house. Go in the way of wisdom. Many men have been slain by, by the power of, of sin and adultery. Don't go there. Many strong men, when you read that, who do you think of? In verse number 26, who do you think of? Many strong men have been slain. I think of Samson. I think of Solomon. I think of David. And so this young man is a pushover in comparison to the, the sweet psalmist of Israel like David or to Samson, a man who experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So he's warning his son, her house is going down to hell. Her bedroom is a battlefield. It's like the dead corpses are there. It's the aroma of death. That's the reality. Don't be a gullible dimwit to do it. So I say this as I close. Let's remember Jesus. Because we're going to have the Lord's Supper today. Just think of Jesus going to the cross. In a way, you could say the cross was a, a death trap. There was no way when somebody went to the cross they were going to come down alive. When he went to the cross, he was going there to die. But he did it willfully. Why did he do it? For your sin and my sin. That's why he did it. He died for our sin. But he did it in love. Without sin in himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God showed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross and willingly took our sins. Notice even what it says in our text. She hath cast down many wounded. Sin always wounds. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, He was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions, not for His own. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've often gone to this, to this house that we should not have gone. We've gone to the house of temptation. All of us have made foolish decisions in life, but thank God we can repent and turn back to the Lord who is wisdom, who is life. So let's look to Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ who loves you so much. And He bears in His body the wounds for our sins to this day. Let us look to Him today with eyes of faith. Let's stand together as we, as we pray, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. To remember the Lord. Thank You, Lord, for Your love and faithfulness to us. God, thank You for these warning chapters that You give to us. We're Your children. Help us to heed these warnings of My Son. We're all Your sons and Your daughters. 
who know you as Savior. So, Lord God, thank you that you went to the cross for us so that we don't have to make these foolish decisions. You deliver us by the power of the blood, by the power of your Spirit, by the power of your Word. Thank you, Lord, for your deliverance you give to us. Claim that deliverance just now, dear friends. How many would say, Pastor, pray for me? Because there are obsessions in my life. And I'm waiting for the times when I'm alone or in darkness, when I think no one's watching, to get away with something. Turn from it right now. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. At that moment, rather than turn to that sin, open up the Bible. Keep His words and live. Write His word on the table of your heart. Remember His word. Remember Jesus, what He did for you. Remember the shame He had to endure for you on the cross. He died to deliver us. To forgive us. Is there anyone here who'd say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved today, but I need Jesus as my Savior. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? Is there anyone? Just put your hand up. Can I pray for you? For those of you who are saved today, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So just let's remember Christ. Remember what He endured on the cross. Remember how when He went to the garden, He said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Remember when Jesus went to the cross and as He suffered and bled and died, He cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to be, which is to say, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Look unto Jesus now with eyes of faith. He is the author. He is the finisher of your faith. Thank You, Lord. You came once as our Savior and sin-bearer. You're going to come again as our King to rule and reign with a rod of iron. And Lord, when You come again, we are going to eat and drink with You. And so, Lord, we do this today in, in that great hope we have of eating and drinking with You and Your Kingdom. Lord, we do this today to remember You and Your love for us and what You did for us. So, Lord, thank You. Let's just sing together as our men come and then we'll distribute the juice today.